Thanks, Steve, for reading uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. You know, it, we started the Gospel of John, this uh, series called Come and See. It's the invitation Jesus gives to us to come and see who he is, to see if he's for real, if he is who he says he is. He invites us, come and see. We started in this Gospel on the first Sunday of the year. And here we are on Ash Wednesday, and we're at this story. And what a perfect story uh, for a service when we're talking about repentance and being made new and being restored in Christ as we begin uh, Lent together. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees in our story, uh, they were out to get Jesus. I mean, they were there to trick him and trap him. And I don't know how they worked this out. I don't know how they plotted and strategized, but somehow they caught this woman in the very act of adultery. They dragged her out into the square where Jesus was teaching in front of the crowd and God and everyone. And the goal they had was just to make Jesus look bad. Uh, they, they had it all planned out. They were creating a damned if you do and damned if, damned if you don't situation. They thought whichever way Jesus goes, uh, he's going to he's going to lose his popularity. He's going to his mess up because the idea was, well, uh, we know he's been called a friend of sinners. I, if he doesn't say the woman should be stoned, he's going to be in trouble with all of us who believe in the law of Moses, because that's what the law of Moses says, that adulterers should be taken out and stoned. And, and just in case you're not used to Bible language, uh, stoned has had a different meaning <laughs> then than it does now. They weren't going to go out drinking and partying. No, it meant they were going to actually pick up stones and throw them at the woman. That, and they would do that until the person uh, was just covered with stones and, and had died. And so, you know, is, is it going to be a hardliner? Is he going to go with the law of Moses or let her off the hook? But if he does say that she should be stoned, well, then he's in trouble with the Roman authorities. Because um, the Jews, actually, they hadn't practiced this. They hadn't really practiced this law for about a thousand years. Uh, when the, with the Romans in power, they were not allowed to uh, perform capital punishment. The Romans would do that. And so he would be in trouble with the Romans if he said stone the woman. He'd be in trouble with the Jews if he said don't stone the woman. So they thought, aha, we've got him. But, you know, they didn't really know Jesus all that well did they? Because uh, he took this to a whole different level. I mean, he took it to the core of what it was really, really all about. And uh, we're going to explore that t- tonight. But, you know, th- you, you might have noticed, and, and a lot of people that comment on this s- story notice this, uh, where's the guy? Where's the man? I mean, it, 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 ta- it really, you know, in this sort of thing, it takes two to tango, doesn't it? I mean, you, you need a man and a woman for uh, someone to be caught in the very act of adultery. And the law, it actually called for that. It called for both the man and the woman guilty to be punished for their sin. And the law also called for a pretty involved trial. And so it wasn't something just decided just in the moment, like they're asking Jesus to do. You know, I think the scribes, the Pharisees, I don't think they had any concern for this woman. I don't think they really had any concern for the law. They were just trying to make Jesus look bad. They were using this to set a trap. But as we'll see, Jesus doesn't fall into their trap. Uh, In fact, they pretty much fall into their own trap. 
And we learn a lot about God, and we learn a lot about repentance. We learn a lot about forgiveness from this story. You know, in the Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, he speaks out, the Spirit speaks through him. And he says something very powerful that I think we need to hear tonight. Ezekiel speaks out, speaking for God, and says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back and turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Do you hear the heart of God? The heart, God is not into punishing the wicked. God is not, does not get happy when wicked people die. God is grieved. God would rather see the wicked person repent and find forgiveness and find new life. You know, John is really clear. When John tells us about Jesus coming into the world, he says Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to seek and save the lost. And we have a picture, a beautiful picture here of Jesus reaching out to seek and save the lost. And actually, uh, everyone except for Jesus is lost here. Even the, the Pharisees and the, the, the scribes and Pharisees are lost. The woman who was caught in sin is lost. You know, I think, I, I tend to put sinners into two different camps or two different categories, and we, and we see them in this story. There's the first type I'm going to call uh, the overt sinner. Uh, you know, very clear by outward appearances, very clear by actions that this person is not following God. And here, this woman uh, caught having an affair of some kind and brought out and exposed. This is overt sin. She is clearly seen that she's crossed the lines of God's law. But the, the second type that's not as clearly seen is the type of the Pharisees and the scribes. I'm going to call this a covert uh, sinning. This is hidden sin. This is sin that really maybe won't show on the outside. The person might look, you know, pretty slick and clean and dandy on the outside, respectable, but inside there is a wicked, sinful heart. And often the covert sinner boosts up their own ego, their own self righteousness, sense of self righteousness anyway, by finding someone a little bit lower than they are, that they can point their fingers at and say, aha, look at you. You're a sinner, and I'm not like you. I would never do that. And very unlike God, they actually find pleasure and power and empowerment in the death and punishment of other sinners. They don't desire what God desires. You know, it reminds me of the two brothers in the story of the prodigal son. They are, you know, so opposite in many ways, but they are still sinners. The one goes out and squanders his father's fortune on loose living and goes, gets far from God in a very far country. He's not living a godly life, and he repents and comes back. But his brother sins also in his judgmentalism and how he doesn't want to forgive his brother and he wants to see his brother punished, the older brother against the younger brother. Two brothers from the same family and they're both sinners. 
And, you know, we're all, uh, when you come down to it, we're all from the same family. We're all children of Adam, and we're all children of Eve. And Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 3. He says, all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. A big part of this story is they are, they're all sinners here. And instead of Jesus saying what to do with this woman, he talks about what to do with all of us, that we need to find uh, forgiveness. We need to find a savior. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So Jesus doesn't condone either party. Jesus doesn't affirm either sin. But Jesus invites confession and repentance and an invitation to new, to new life. So while these accusers are making their accusations, and this woman is uh, just, I, I believe she'd just be cowering with shame and fear, fear that she's going to lose her life, and shame in the way that she's been exposed. And what does Jesus do? While these guys are ranting and raving about what should be done, Jesus, Jesus simply uh, gets down and he takes his finger and he writes in the dust. Writes in the dust. You know, it, this probably was a Sabbath day. It was a day right after uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and that was usually a day of rest, a Sabbath day. And what's interesting with the laws, the Jewish laws about Sabbath, it was actually against the Sabbath to write even two letters on the Sabbath, except <laughs> except if you wrote in the dust. Isn't that interesting? If you wrote in the dust, it wasn't against the law. And a lot of times rabbis, when they were teaching on the Sabbath, would write in the dust because that was okay. But, you know, we don't know what Jesus wrote in the dust. Uh, what did he write? John doesn't tell us. I wish he did tell us. Uh, there's been a lot of theories about what Jesus wrote in the dust. Some, some people think, well, maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. Or someone said maybe he wrote out there the secret sins of the scribes and Pharisees. Um, someone kind of jokingly said, well, maybe he wrote the names of their secret girlfriends. You know, we, we, don't, we don't know. But I'll tell you, a scripture, he might have written this scripture, Jeremiah 17, 13, it's just, when you think about it, in all we've learned about the Gospel of John through these weeks, uh, this is from Jeremiah. Again, it's a prophecy. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. You know, three times so far in this Gospel, we've heard about Jesus being the one who brings living water or, or causes living water to the spirit to well up inside us and jeremiah is prophesying that there'll be those who reject the lord and reject the living water and that's what has been happening in the gospel of john and they'll have their names written in the dust now he's contrasting this with our names written in the book of life you know when we come to christ and we're saved our names are written in the book of life that we'd live with him forever but he's saying if you don't find jesus if you don't follow the messiah it's just like your names are written in the dust you'll be here one day and gone the next and you will perish without him 
And why did Jesus come? That we would not perish, but have everlasting life. So in all their striving to be right, in all their striving to be correct, they are not right, and they are not correct, and they are not righteous, and they reject the one who came to save them. They reject the spring of living water that God wants to have flow abundantly through them and set them free from sin and death. You know, whenever the Lord gives a warning like this, it's because he doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to come to repentance. And the Pharisees, they would give warnings and judgments because they really did want to see the person perish. But that's not the heart of God. So after Jesus finishes writing what he's writing, he makes a very interesting statement. Whoever is without sin, Jesus says, let him cast the first stone. And praise God, no stones were cast that day. There was some sort of, maybe from what he wrote or the Holy Spirit working, but these men who accused this woman, they were convicted of their own sin somehow. Somehow their own sin was acknowledged by them. And the accusers, they dropped their stones and they walk away one by one. And I, I see that as a confession of their sin. But is there repentance? We don't know. We don't know if they repented and came to believe in Jesus that day. What we do know, and we're going to get into this on Sunday and the next Sunday, is that by the end of this chapter, many of those who were ready to throw stones at that woman and drop their stones, they were picking up rocks again to this time throw at Jesus. But uh, it wasn't his time yet, so Jesus gets away uh, from them. But in Jesus, we see a picture of God's true mercy and true holiness. And Jesus asks the women, woman, where, where, where is everyone? And they've all left. And he says, where are, where are those who condemn you? They're all gone. They've left. And so Jesus, the only one who was perfect enough to cast a stone, says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus would have no pleasure in her death. Jesus would have great pleasure in her coming to faith. The scripture says that all of heaven rejoices when their soul is saved, when we're made whole, when we're restored, when we're forgiven, when we're brought into right relationship with God. You know, there's another scripture in Romans that says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's the call of God today. Repentance is not a terrible, awful thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, there is sorrow. There is sadness. We're sorry for our sin. But repentance is a wonderful, good thing because it's a cleansing of all that has clogged up our souls, all that has clogged up our spirits, all that has separated us from God and separated us from our brothers and sisters. We bring that before God and we lay it at his feet and we say, Lord, make me new, cleanse me. Let that, those springs of living water come flow through me and restore me to right relationship with you and with my brothers and sisters. 
You know, whatever Jesus wrote in the dust that day, it's long been trampled over. It's long blown away like dust in the wind. And the Pharisees that were there that day and even that woman who was accused and uh, judged and and found forgiveness, um, they have returned to dust. They've been dead for a long, long time. And each of one of us that are here worshiping tonight, we will return to dust. But for those who have tasted the living water, those who have confessed and repented and received the pardon of Jesus Christ, who says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. For us, grave is, the grave is not the end. Our names are not written merely in the dust, but they're written in the Lamb's book of life. And even at the grave, we can sing, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let's sing to the Lord. <laughs>